You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, it's good to see you guys. And as we continue talking about how we can be spiritually free, what we're really trying to do in this series is root out those things in our lives that hold us back spiritually uh, speaking. And I really love the message that Aaron Dockery brought us last week because he showed us how uh, unforgiveness really keeps us in like this spiritual jail cell and keeps us from experiencing the freedom that God has for us. And uh, today I'm going to talk to you about self-hatred. And that's why I give you this little card that's uh, on your seat. So would you pull those little cards out and you have those little golf pencils there? And what you're going to do with your little piece of paper and your little pencil is you're going to think about something. This, how's this for uh, being uplifting today? Think about something that you hate about yourself, okay? Uh, like at my stage of the game, at my age, uh, I am growing older, and like I'm a, I've got a dad bod now. I'm just embracing it, you know, dad bod. I've got the love handles. Uh, it's kind of bugging me, and I kind of hate it. Some of you ladies are going through menopause right now. Some lady just wrote down hot flashes. I hate hot flashes, okay? Those of you that are teenagers, you're going through the changes, you know. You hate all the changes you're going through, zits, whatever is going on, write down zits. But some of this is something a little more serious, you know. Like for some, you're going to write down something like that addiction or struggle that you deal with in secret, and you really would be embarrassed if other people knew about it. Um, Others, you're going to write down the depression or uh, that one thing that you hate about yourself, uh, the things that you said, what you did years ago that seems to mark your life. Write that thing down. Now, here's where some of you are reluctant right now, is that you came with your mom, and you, she's going to nosy, right? If you came with your mom or your grandma, it's like there's like a 99% chance she's going to try and look at your card. So here's what I want you to do if you're afraid of that. Just write it in code, you know? Uh, write it in such a way that your nosy grandma won't know what you wrote on your card. And uh, keep a hold of those, and I'm going to have you do something with those cards uh, later on. But in our culture, we hear a lot of music that contributes towards us hating ourselves, right? Some of you remember the old Nirvana song, I Hate Myself and Want to Die. How's that for a pick-me-up? And then there's the Kelly Clarkson song, I Hate Myself for Losing You. And some of you remember the Leanne Womack song, um, I May Hate Myself in the Morning, but I'm going to Love You Tonight, Jack. So uh, that's the power of music. And because music is so powerful, Psychology Today came up with this self-esteem playlist. And I thought I'd just mention a few of the songs that they recommend that you put on a playlist to make yourself feel better about yourself. Uh, One of them is the song by Whitney Houston, you know, The Greatest Love of All. And you listen to that and you just love yourself, won't you? And then there's the one to make you feel better about your body, you know, the song Sexy and I Know It. Uh, That's not really a great song for pastors to listen to all the time. But then there's my favorite on the list by MC Hammer. Can't touch this, right? Okay, if you don't know what just happened there, just do a YouTube search, Crab Walk, MC Hammer, and it was nothing like what you just saw uh, moments ago. But uh, we hear music that's trying to build us up, um, and we're taught from an early age to love ourselves, aren't we? That's why we get our phones out and we take pictures of ourselves called what? Selfies, you know? And you know the rule about selfies. You got to make sure and hold it up so your chin doesn't look fat and all that. You, you have to position it just right, you know, so that you can feel good about yourself in the little selfie 
picture. But the reason uh, that I'm talking about this today is because we all want to feel better about ourselves, right? That's why we listen to certain music and uh, try and take care of ourselves and the like. But how is it that we can feel better about ourselves? Because what I'm going to give you today is not just pop psychology, but it's eternal theology about how you and I should view ourselves. And it's kind of counterintuitive when you look into the Bible as the, the way that you can feel better about yourself. So I captured it in a quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer, and I'll show you that quote on screen. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about who? Us. The route, the way to a proper self-esteem is the way of thinking rightly about God. That's the most important thing about us. Let me take you to the text on the theology of self-esteem. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 is, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. In order to have something to offer your neighbor, you have to first love yourself. Now, I wanted to show you a few indicators of self-hatred in your life, and you can use these indicators to uh, determine and discern if you have any uh, level of self-hatred in your own heart right now. You can also use this to be able to serve and help other people around you that you're, you're trying to minister to and help and mentor along. So look at the first one on the list. The first indicator is a self-pity. Um, it's These are the folks that have had something done to them many years ago and have never dealt with it, and they're still enslaved to what someone did to them many years ago. And some people have gotten so much attention because they were a victim at some point in life that they love playing the victim. People have a pity party, and now all of a sudden, uh, they look for ways to be a victim. And people who embrace the victim spirit, I liken it to uh, a wet diaper. Uh, you know, everybody else can smell it, but you're the only one that feels humiliated on that deal. And so here's another indicator of self-hatred, is self-humiliation. Have you ever met the person who is self-deprecating in all of their humor? And it's like they're constantly cutting themselves down. It's actually a form of false humility uh, where we constantly cut ourselves down. That's an indicator. Also, the self-focused person, the person that always has to be the center of attention. Uh, one time I had a friend who in his 30s had to go to the hospital for a heart problem, and his wife struggled with self-hatred. And when I got to the hospital to do the visit, his wife turned the whole scenario around to make it about how it affected her that her husband was in the hospital. And I'm like, please shut up. Please pay attention to your husband who has the real problem here uh, that you need to focus on. And so a person with self-hatred is a master at manipulating the conversation to be about himself or her health. Then, the, then there's the person who struggles with uh, competition and comparison. It's always a competition. It's kind of like the religious guy in Luke 18 who said, thank you, God, I'm not like all those sinners, particularly that sinner over there, that tax collector. And so what people who hate themselves in this way do is that they're always having to cut someone, uh, you know, find someone who's worse than they are to puff themselves up and feel better about themselves. And then there's the person that talks too much. This person, you know, if you ever tried to tell her, please just shut up. You just keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And what she's trying to do or what he's trying to do, it's like, 
he's trying to convince everyone that he's okay. She's trying to convince everyone uh, she's okay. But then there's the person who won't say anything at all. And you know why? Because it's a fear of saying something stupid and then being rejected. And then there's the person who uh, manifests legalism. That's uh, uh, an indicator of self-hatred. Legalism, where the person is trying to make up for their past sins. Therefore, in this life, they have to like be over-the-top goody-goodies because they got to convince themselves uh, that they're okay. It's like in that movie Footloose where they didn't allow people to dangle or drink or, you know, I've known some people that won't even play cards, right? And that's, um, uh, that's legalism there. And then there's body abuse. This is the main indicator of self-hatred where people will overeat or undereat and get some type of an eating disorder. Some people abuse their body uh, sexually. Others through cutting, you know, like those of you who are in school, have you met that person that, that's a cutter? And that's often a manifestation of self-hatred. And then ultimately suicide is the worst manifestation of body abuse and self-hatred. Well, remember Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And because of the culture in which we grew up, we like the part about loving ourselves, but you can't get to the love yourself part unless you do the first step in the process. And that's where I want to take you back to Matthew twenty two thirty six. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. So it's like love God. God wants to be loved. He doesn't want a bunch of drones who are just checking off religious boxes. He wants people that passionately care about him and love him for who he is. Have you ever had a friend that just loved you from what they could, for, for what they could get from you? You know, God doesn't want people that just seek his hand, but he wants people that seek his face, you know, that love him for just who he is, his presence. And so when we come to this experience of God where we, we, we just love him for who he is, it's like we're not using God, but we're submitting to God and allowing him to use us for his redemptive purposes in the world. Remember, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But because God is so perfect and brilliant, we have to embrace the way that God views us. You know, you typically don't care about the opinion of someone that you do not respect, right? There are some people that don't like you, and you're like, who cares, right? <laughs> you're a jerkwad. I don't care what you think. But when you get to know God, you back tatters what he thinks and the way that he views you. So let me take you back to Genesis 1 and the creation story. And if you think about what happened there, uh, man was formed and created by God, and Adam woke up, and it's like, whoa, there's God. Right there, he got to be in the direct presence of God. And so he woke up for the very first time, and he's like, awesome, God. And then God put him to sleep. And, and the man went back to sleep again. And God took the rib from the man, and he formed and fashioned, created the woman. And she, Eve was like the perfect woman. And man woke up, and he's like, whoa, there's a beautiful, perfect woman. And she's naked, right? And so Adam is like, God, put me to sleep again. I can't wait to see what happens the next time, you know, I wake up. And so he's in the garden uh, being created, and man and woman are experiencing this uh, great reality here in the creation in the garden in Genesis 1. Uh, but then the serpent enters in and lies to them and tries to convince them that they can be 
gods. And I'm going to come back to that uh, here in just a moment. And remember, we've got to think about what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But if you look at the, the Hebrew creation story, it's actually like a poem. And if you were to read it in the Hebrew, it, there would be this like cadence and rhythm in the story. So uh, as it's written, it says, there was light and darkness, and it was good. The story goes on, there was sky and water, and it was good. Then God created the plants and the trees, and it's good. God created the fish and the animals, and it was what? Good. But then when God created the man and the woman, he said something different. Go to Genesis 131. God saw all that he made, and it was what? Very good. And so when you think about yourself, when God made Jesus, he made something, someone very good. Now change channels in your minds to Psalms 139. And the psalmist says there, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Did you know you're wonderfully complex? Tell someone next to you, you're wonderfully complex. <laughs> Some wife is like, honey, I know. I'm so wonderfully <laughs> complex. And then he goes on to say, your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. And then there was this one prophet in the Old Testament of the Bible, and he was afraid that God had left him and abandoned he and the people of Israel. His name was Isaiah. And I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. It says, the Lord has deserted us and the Lord has forgotten us. And then he has an epiphany. Never can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on my hand. Did you know that God has a tattoo and he has your name tattooed on his hand? And someone here today feels like God has forgotten you and I'm here to tell you today that there is a tattoo on his hand of your name that says otherwise. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. He sees the hurt and the struggle and the issue in your life and he has not forgotten you. But when you love God for who he is, not just for what he could give, you accept the fact that God is the star of the movie of reality. God is the star of the story. Now, um, I love J.J. Abrams' movies and shows. And so when J.J. Abrams took over uh, Star Wars, you know, he started doing some of the Star Wars movies, that really excited me because I knew he would do it right. And I really love what J.J. Abrams has done with the Star Trek movies, you know? I love Star Trek. I grew up on Star Trek, and I love it. Well, I have kind of this dream or this fantasy, right? And I'll let you in on it today. I have this dream that, you know, some year I'm going to go to Comic-Con. And I went back to Comic-Con a couple of years ago, and I dressed up like Mr. Spock. And so one of these years, I'm going to go back. And when I get there, I'm, a, I'm just going to be walking around, enjoying the show, you know, and I'll just be walking by, wearing my ears, no big deal. And then I'm going to see J.J., and he's going to say, hey, dude, have we met? He's like, we'll be man-crushing you. It's like, yeah, no, no, what's going on? Well, uh, it's like, let's have coffee, you know, let's talk, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have coffee, we'll talk. I'll invite him to church, introduce him to my family. He'll come over to the house. He'll come to church service, you know, and he's going to love my sermon and think it's so insightful, you know, and then we'll, uh, we'll eat afterwards, and he'll say, Doug, I need your help, dude. It's like, I saw you today. 
in your regulation Starfleet uniform, in your Mr. Spock ears, and I need you to be in my next Star Trek movie. <laughs> I need you. But here's where the story turns a little bit, in that I think I'm going to be the star of the movie, but then J.J. says, Doug, you're not going to be the star. You're not going to be Mr. Spock. I'm hurt. He says, you're going to be Mr. Spock's long-lost Vulcan cousin, and you're going to have a supporting role in the film, but you're not going to be the star of the film, but you're going to have a really valued role, and I have a decision to make. Because a part of me would say, well, pfft, J.J., man, I thought we were bros. You know what's going on here? I, I, I thought I looked just like Mr. Spock. You know, I thought I was doing, my eyebrows are way bigger and better than his. I mean, come on. But I could say, you know, I'm just going to make my own independent Star Trek film. And I'll do it. It'll, the budget will be a little bit lower. You know, I'll shoot it on my iPhone, you know, something like that. Um, but I'll just do my own independent film. Would I be better off to shoot my independent film or would I be better to humble myself and be a part of a much grander and bigger story, see? And that's the way that it works with God. Is that a lot of independent come before God and we think, you know, if I can't be the star of the show, then I'm gonna do my own little independent film and do my own thing. But that really doesn't make sense, does it? Because God's movie is huge. It's like God's story has no beginning there's like no first scene. God has always been throughout all of eternity past. There's not like any time when he was born or when he had a first scene in his movie. And it never has that, uh, that, that panel at the end of the show where it says the end. Because God's story continues to go in eternity future forever and ever and ever. That is a big eternal story. Now if you go back to the Bible just for a minute and the Adam and Eve story in the garden... They were given a really great role in the garden to manage the creation, a valued and excellent role. But the serpent came, as I said earlier, and lied to them. And he says to them, hey, why would you want to keep this little role when you can be like gods? You can be the star of your own movie here. So why, and some of you are thinking, why would I want to trade roles with God? Because my little independent film is going pretty well right now, you know? I've got my own company. I've got this great digital presence. I mean, my social media stuff looks great. I look stellar. My selfies look perfect. I, I just, I'm, I'm there. I make a ton of money. I have a following. I draw a crowd. Why would I want to let someone else in on my action here and be the star of my movie, Why Trade Roles? Well, here's the thing you got to understand is that your story and my story on this earth will end and people will forget about us. There are movies from many years ago that were a big deal that you and I can't even name. We can't even name one actor, let alone the star of those little movies. And another thing we've got to understand is that God's movie, you're going to be in God's movie one way or the other, whether or not it's a good role or a bad role. Did you catch that? You and I are going to be in God's movie and give him glory, good or bad, whether we choose to or not. We just have to choose whether our role in his movie is going to be good or bad. And Pharaoh found this out. Did you know that? Pharaoh thought he was a god. God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, you got to let the people free. you got to let them go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not having it because I'm God around here. I'm the star around here. And look at what God said in Exodus chapter 14, verse 17. 
yet I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will follow the Israelites into the sea. Then I will receive great glory at the expense of Pharaoh and his armies, chariots, and charioteers. When I'm finished with Pharaoh and his army, all Egypt will know that I am the Lord. And what happened when Pharaoh had to be the star of his movie, he chased the Jewish people down into the sea that had been parted with all his charioteers. And the water came down and drowned them and let everyone know in Egypt, God is the star of the movie. So taking a supporting role rather than the starring role brings a whole new meaning to all of our relationships. You know what I mean? So if you're in a romantic relationship, it's not just about you getting your needs met all the time, but all of your romantic relationships are about honoring God in that relationship And the way you honor God in that relationship is you honor the other person in the relationship, not just get your needs met. And those of you who are still in school, your school is not just about you making all these great grades so that everyone will glorify you for your intellect, but it's about learning stuff that's useful so that you can glorify God in the marketplace someday. Some of you are in corporate jobs right now and you sometimes feel like that movie Office Space where you're fighting this traffic all day long and then you get there and you're having to fill out these endless TPS reports, you know? But when you put God as the star of your movie, your work takes on a whole new meaning. It's like, I wanna glorify God through my work and the best I can, I want to provide a good or a service to other people. And I wanna be an example of truth and biblical ethics in my workplace there, see? And since God is so big, isn't it silly for you and I to think he's wrong for loving us? Some of us think, I, God couldn't love me. There's no way. He's too good, and I'm too not good. You know, how could God love me? But he does. And so when you look at God and see how great he is, it changes your perspective. So one time, my wife and I, if you look at the wonders of the world, you stand in awe sometimes. And, and my wife and I went to Jordan and saw Petra one time. And what happens when you go there, there's one way in. And there are these two cliffs, and it creates like a hallway. And you walk through this hallway. It's, it was on that Indiana Jones movie. Some of you saw it. You walk down this long hallway, and then all of a sudden it opens up. And you see this city that was carved right out of the rocks there. It's just amazing. And you look and you're like, when you're standing before Petra, one of the wonders of the world, do you think I was thinking how awesome I am or how cool I am when I'm looking at one of these wonders of the world? No. I'm realizing in the grander scheme of things, I'm pretty small. And then when you think about the cosmos and so uh, the universe and all the wonders of the stars, I want to illustrate it like this. If you took the distance between our earth and the sun and represented that by a single sheet of paper, did you know that the distance from our earth to the next visible star would be a stack of papers that's 70 feet high? And did you know that our universe, the, the, the length of our galaxy, the Milky Way, could be represented by a stack of papers that are 310 miles high? And that's just our galaxy, the Milky Way, And did you know that our galaxy is just a speck of dust compared to the rest of the universe? So our Milky Way galaxy is just a speck of dust. So make us 
we're pretty small compared to God. He created it all. The Bible tells us that Jesus holds the universe together with the word of his mouth. So this being who created the universe with a word, is this the kind of person that you want to make the supporting actor in your little independent film? And is this the, pers- the kind of person that you think is wrong when he says you're loved and valuable and that you have a valuable role on this earth? Certainly not. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your card and whatever you wrote on it. And some of you still need to write something down on there. But you got those cards out? Go ahead and pull them out r- real quick. And just fold them in half. And the band's going to come up here and lead us in some music here in just a minute. And I'm going to ask you here in a minute to bring uh, your cards, if you're so compelled, up to the front and just drop them here uh, at the front. Uh, Those of you in the back room, you could bring your cards up to where the TVs are and just drop them there. But what I'd like to do before you drop off those cards is I want to pray with you that we would agree with God about who we are and who he is. See, when we get our vertical understanding of God and his greatness in order, then and only then can we rightly see ourselves as the valuable children of God that we are. So would you bow your heads with me? And as we bow in prayer, if, I want to ask all of you to pray this out loud with me. Just repeat it after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I confess self-hatred. I agree with you about my value. I renounce self-hatred. I choose to forgive myself and receive your forgiveness. I'm released from guilt and shame. In the name of Jesus, to go. I cancel hate's power. I command self-hatred to go. Heavenly Father, Since you're so big, I accept my valued role in your movie, in your story. You are the Lord. You are the star. And I submit my agenda to your agenda. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.